Georgia Point, Jake and Heidi. So Jake, what have you been working on this past fortnight? This past fortnight, I've been working on a lot of stuff. Um, this past fortnight, I finished a pack of chairs, and then um, I had a customer that needed a set of chairs re-glued, and then after that, I also, I've got a set of plaques to run on the CNC. Um, I've got five plaques that I have to cut out and mat to match an original, and I also have to match the color of the original. The last project that I'm working on is actually a um, entertainment center from the I Like to Make Stuff channel. So Heidi, what's your Fortnite update? My Fortnite update is I was interviewed on an episode of Bulls with Tools podcast with my husband, which was really exciting and a lot of fun. Pretty awesome. Yeah, for sure. We also are both working on several different commissions. Ben just finished up a project recently that we posted a video for. It was a bandsaw box with a family crest on the front of it. I saw that. That was actually really cool. Yeah, so that was that was earlier this month. And then I turned my first bowl, actually, about a week ago. I saw that you um, you also like to throw wooden bowls. I threw it right off the lathe. Well, now it's time I think we should start this interview. This week, we had the pleasure of talking to Kristen Powers Nallen. She is a printmaker, and she's also my former professor from Clarion University. She tells us everything from how she uses a steamroller to do printmaking, all the way to how she got her own home printmaking press in her basement, and how much it weighs. Kristen is a studio artist specializing in woodblock printmaking, dealing with issues of race and ancestry. Hi. Hi, Kristen. Hey. How are you? Good. So, Kristen, just a little bit of a rundown on our podcast. You are the first interview. Excellent. Our namesake is Origin Point Podcast. And what we like about it is the idea that everyone has originated from somewhere. You, there's an origin point to everyone's story, whether it's when you're in kindergarten and you discover that you really like doing hair or you are 45 years old and suddenly discover that you really like woodworking. Everyone has some point in their life where they're like, oh my gosh, I think that I was made to do this thing. Yeah. So we want to talk to you a little bit about specifically what you do with your printmaking and, and what inspires you, but we also want to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of how you got started as a printmaker, where you think you would be if you hadn't done that vocation. Okay. How long has it been since you were in Pennsylvania? Um, gosh, actually, we were back there, I want to say it was maybe 2000. 11, I went back as a visiting artist to Columbus called Art and Design, and so we took a trip back over to Clarion um, and visited some friends. So it was, I think, 2011 or 12. I can't, I, something like that. Okay. So cool. it's been a while. Yeah. Cool. Where are you now? You're, is it Missouri? Uh, no, we moved. We're in uh, Manhattan, Kansas. Okay. So um, uh, Edward took a p- teaching position here at K-State, Kansas State. And, um, so I, the first year we moved here, I didn't teach at all. And so I was just back to making art full time. And then, um, last year I taught one class per semester and this past year I taught three classes per semester. So 
as much as I call myself a part-time teacher, I sort of feel like I'm teaching. Uh, what do you drive or how, what's your mode of transportation to get around? For eight years, I've been driving a Ford Escape. And um, yeah, so it works pretty well because you can put the seats flat and get quite a bit of art in there when you need to. And um, But yeah, it just, it actually, it's on a kayak trip with my husband and my son this weekend. And I expect when it gets back, it will have crossed the 100,000 mile marker. So. And I was a little nice. sad that they were going to take it and have that experience without me. Because <laughs> I don't think either <laughs> one of them cared, but I did. So. But, this is a yeah. like video, the, the rollover. I know. I was like, can you like, stop and take a picture? And I'm, my husband's like, no. I was like, okay. <laughs> He's like, oh, that's too much work. <laughs> you know, it's too much work. <laughs> You'll see it when you get back. Yeah, I know. Well, you'll just have to look forward to 200,000 then. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, see if it makes it that far, but yeah. <laughs> we, we often sell our trade-in cars by this point, so it, that's kind of why it was like notable to me because we don't usually have cars past 100,000. Mm. So. I drive mine into the ground. My, my brother works for Ford, so we get a discount. So anytime <laughs> some major repair, we're like, okay, let's just trade it in. <laughs> we're kind of... Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm the second. I'm usually the second owner because usually my cars start about a hundred to hundred and thirty thousand miles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We always, I think, uh, pretty much other than the first cars we had when we met, we've pretty much always bought brand new cars. Yeah. So that's what so, I drive. Cool. Awesome. So let's let's get into your vocation a little bit. Um, you had mentioned that you're back to teaching. But you're also doing printmaking full-time, too. I've been noticing on your Instagram you've been doing quite a bit. Yeah. When people ask me what I do, when I was, like, a full-time employee as a teacher, I would say, uh, you know, I'm an instructor or professor or whatever. So the last few years have been kind of a transition because I sometimes don't quite know how to answer that. I'm totally working as an adjunct, so I'm teaching three classes a semester this year, but I'm not, like, a regular full-time employee at all. So I guess I usually say I'm a part-time teacher, full-time artist, but... Um, one of the agreements when we moved here and I was, I did quit my full-time teaching because that's how I would get access to presses. I'm sure as you remember at Clarion, that's where I made my work. So when we moved here, the agreement was I would get a press. And, um, so after we'd been here a year, I found a press at, um, it did, really a couple hours from here. That was like practically brand new. Oh, wow. And so we bought it. And so we last, uh, let's see, yeah, about two years ago, we moved it into our basement. And so it's, it's my, uh, so I have my own press now and I make my prints at home. It was weird. Like the first time I printed at home, I realized I've never done this. I've never <laughs> printed in my house. You know, it's not like uh, painters who always paint at home and whatnot. I just have never done that. So I might carve at home sometimes, but I had never actually printed at home until that moment. So I'm actually new to um, printmaking, or I should say I'm, I'm just now learning more about it. I just kind of thumbed through your Instagram here and I see it's ginormous. It looks like. So what all is involved with the uh, the press that you have? I bought a, a Tackage tabletop etching press. And so the press bed is um, 30 by 48 inches. So that's like the biggest, you know, piece of paper I could print, basically. Okay. I, I don't often print that large. So um, sometimes I think it looks big on the, on photos because I'm so small. So that looks <laughs> really huge. But <laughs> it's not really that big. But yeah, so it, 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 it is definitely accommodates pretty much almost any print I've ever want to make. So I, I print wood blocks. Um, so I carve blocks of Sheena plywood. It's a Japanese plywood that's 
missing knots. So it doesn't have knots. It has a very short grain to the wood. So it's easy to carve. It's real soft, but it holds details that I've been carving that probably for about seven years. I think before that I used birch plywood, which has a longer grain and a stronger grain, but it's harder to carve. So the press comes apart into pieces. That's why I bought a tabletop so you can move it more easily. Um, and so we hired a couple guys to like move it in, but the, you know, the roller on top disconnects from, and then the press bed comes off and then the rest of it's kind of all one piece. So you can, I wouldn't say it's easy to move, but it's easy ish. <laughs> it's still weighs probably, I don't know. It's probably, I can't remember what I looked up. I think it's maybe 700 pounds or something. So you definitely would want help. Wow. <laughs> and one yourself, but yeah. Wow. So is that is that roller sol- is that roller solid? I think it's hollow. When you knock on it, it sounds hollow. So I'm pretty sure it's hollow. Yeah. Okay. The the top roller is I think a seven inch diameter. The bottom one I believe is smaller. I think it might be a four inch or something. But um, but yeah, it, it's hollow. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've actually been. Able, I mean, I've lifted off the roller head with a student a couple times at the press because it's. This press is almost like the one I had at the last school I taught at. And um, so you can, like, two strong women can do it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely heavy-ish, yeah. So were you always interested in the arts, or was it something that you stumbled into, uh, like, when you went to college? How did that happen for you? My mom went back to college when I was in kindergarten, and she graduated when I was in sixth grade. And she went to Iowa State, which is, I grew up in Ames, Iowa, and um, she majored in textile and clothing design. I would often, you know, on parent-teacher day or something, I'd go out and go to class with her, which was sometimes in the design center, the art building, and sometimes in the home ec area, which would have been where fashion design was. I I don't don't think at the time I realized how much I was influencing me, but by ninth grade, I decided I wanted to be a fashion designer, Mm. which was quite a shift from where seventh grade, I wanted to be a lawyer. So I don't know how I got from lawyer to fashion design, but anyway. (laughs) Um, so I started taking a lot more art in high school and then decided I want to go to Pratt. That was my like goal. Um, so I, you know, did all the portfolio stuff to try to get to that. Went to a, a portfolio day, my junior year, I guess. And then I ended up applying to Columbus College of Art and Design because they told me they had fashion design. And, um, then they got, I got a scholarship from there that made it as inexpensive to go there as it would have been to stay home at Iowa State. And so I can remember the, the day my dad sat down with me in the kitchen and said, okay, are you sure you want to go do this fashion design thing? You could go to Iowa State and major in engineering. <laughs> and I said, well, as close as that is, um, no. <laughs> so um, so I went to Columbus College of Art and Design. And freshman year, everybody there does the same program. And it wasn't until the end of the year, literally I was there probably eight months before I realized that they didn't have a major in fashion design. It was a minor. And in order to do the minor, you had to major in retail advertising. So you had to do all the advertising classes, which I had no interest in. Mm. So so at the end of freshman year, they had this, this big like major declaration day. And I declared in fine arts. And then I can remember calling my parents that night and very sheepishly telling them, that I just declared in fine arts and there was sort of this pause and they said, okay. <laughs> I said, okay. All right. So, so that's how I ended up in fine arts. And I had done a lot of printmaking in high school in those art classes. We had, a, we had a, 
a press in my high school that switched back and forth from litho to etching. We had screen printing. We had uh, metal plate and talio. Oh, wow. So I had done a lot. Yeah, it was crazy public high school. But um, I had done a lot of printmaking in high school. And so the next year, sophomore year, was sort of like the foundations for fine arts students. And so we had to take one of everything. And that's when I got back into printmaking. And we didn't have to actually declare a specialization. Like I know a lot of students I've had have had to do that. But um, I did most of my undergrad in sculpture and, and printmaking. I don't know. At some point, I think it was after I studied abroad my junior year, that that's when I decided I wanted to teach. And so that's when I started telling my mom that I was going to get my MFA, even though I don't think I really understood quite what that was at the time, but probably about my fourth year of college that I sort of became geared towards getting my MFA in printmaking. Wow. So it was quite an evolution for you to get from, I like fashion design to, I think that printmaking is going to be my career. Yeah, very much so. But it, it, it definitely felt like, I don't know, I remember getting back into those printmaking classes and it was just like, oh yeah, this is, this is what I love in art. It's a, I think something about the indirect process of working on this matrix and you don't know what it's going to look like until you print it. There's some sort of surprise in that. And I don't know. I just really enjoyed that process. It's wow. also very organized and mm. you have to plan. And I think those are, those are, I think that's why my dad thought I would be a good engineer is because I had those skills. And so printmaking to me sort of felt, just felt right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it sounds like it, it fits your personality in that way. Yeah. Um, when you were going through your your studies, was there a certain person that kind of steered you into that direction? Or was it just like, I have a background in this, I like doing it, um, and I'm influenced by people outside of my college? How did that work for you? I don't know that I could. I'd say that we had two printmaker, printmaking professors at CCAD, and while I liked them both, they were pretty laid back, like guys. <laughs> so I don't know that I don't know that they influenced me very much as much as just the medium, like being really attracted to the medium. Okay. Like in terms of professors, the professor that probably most strongly I had an affinity towards and just felt directed by a little bit was the sculpture professor mm. um and so he I actually ended up applying to a couple grad schools in sculpture because he was really really pushing me in that direction mm. but I think in the same way that's probably why I ended up in relief printmaking and wood carving is because of the the sort of physicality of that I always loved sculpture but what I did most was stone carving and so I think that the there's sort of that origins of the the woodblock printing that I've done for the last 14 years are probably back to actually stone carving and not so much printmaking. So. Okay. So how about more currently now? Do you have anyone that kind of influences you to continue uh, with the the passion, or is it still just is you think it's more the medium, or does anybody have like that spark of influence on you to kind of like like reinvigorate carving a certain certain material or anything like that? Yeah, printmaking is a really small community, um, and we have conferences. There's one that's held, a big one that's held every spring, and another one that's held every other fall. Um, and I do think sort of going back to those conferences on a very regular basis, like I've met a lot of people. The, the people who I think of as my close print friends aren't people I went to school with. 
they're people I've met at those conferences. Mm. And so I'll reconnect with them. And the reason I'm carving Sheena is because my friend Ben that I've met at conferences recommended it. And so I tried it. And now I curse him every time I spend money on it because it's much more expensive than Birch Flywood. So, um, but so yeah, I think that just a lot of being around the other printmakers every once in a while, you know, most printmakers, if you're in a smaller town like I am, there's not a lot of printmakers just hanging around. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's easier to kind of meet those people and connect with them. And we, you know, sometimes on Facebook or on email, we'll email each other about questions, but I did like the technology of the social media, I think has really made it so much easier for faculty and for artists to learn things from each other. You know, I'm on a Facebook group. I think it's called, uh, for making professors or something like that and and you know they're always like asking each other questions like hey what um light box do you buy what you know tool did you use for this or how are you doing this and i, I just i think if that reference were if that resource were around when i started teaching in like 19 you know 1990s that would have been amazing <laughs> mm, right well that's that's a good segue to one of the questions that we had was if, if you can think of any tool that we're using as far as modern technology, what would have blown you away as a young student? And, oh, man, how I would have used XYZ to my advantage. Yeah, I, I, do, I haven't ever used them, but I've just seen them used. But, like, things like the laser cutters and the CNC routers, like, mm. I look at that sometimes and I think, I don't know what I'd be doing now. But, boy, I think that would have changed my approach for sure. to things. People all when they see ask, which I think is really interesting to me because to me they don't look laser cut at all. They're totally, they totally show the hand. So it's it's very interesting to me, and it tends to be the younger the you know the students that ask that, not usually faculty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I you know I think it's just how much they're influenced by technology that they think that that level of detail is achieved by the computer, <laughs> and not by a person. Well, Jake has a CNC machine. Actually, um, that's that's uh, been my background for the past uh, ten years or so is doing uh, fabrication and uh, drafting and design, and so nice. I, I just added a, a CNC a small CNC router to our workshop this past uh, Christmas, um, and so it's been a lot of fun. But you're right, there is a there is a lot of work that goes into the planning stages. That a lot of people don't see. They think the digital fabrication is press a button and out comes the project. When, when that right. is far from the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I draw my. I mean, I, I kind of use the computer for the sketching in Photoshop, and then I print it out, traced on the block, and then draw on the block with Sharpie. And someone's like, "Well, why don't you just CNC route this?" And I think, "Well, but it's it's drawn. <laughs> like I don't know. I, like I can't." For me, I think it would be more work to get it onto the block and like to have the CNC router carve it, you know, than to just carve it myself. But I don't know. Yeah, and you see that, and that's interesting because uh, it, it's. I feel like it's very different for uh, from different perspectives because um, in in one respect, it's very simplistic uh, to be able to to print it and 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 put it on the block in that regard. But uh, to somebody else who is more fluent in using the right programs and the right technology for them, it's like it's so much easier to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And both way in, in both ways, there are, there's not a right and a wrong way per se, but it's, it's very interesting to see because I wouldn't say that I'm in that second category of, oh, this is it, because I'm still learning a lot of the programs myself, but I've seen other people who do it and it's, 
it's like a sixth sense to them. They go, oh, yeah, you just do this and flip it and put it in here. And then when you put it in the machine, it'll print out and it's fine. And I'm just like blown away that I'm like, you know, it's it's so simple for them. So uh, to, to get the same results, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. And to be able to do it with hand drawn stuff, because that's that I mean, that that's the, what's interesting to me because I've been starting to get used more of the Adobe suite and being able to see people who, um, like you said, they hand draw stuff and then they're able to put it, uh, in Adobe and then they can take that, uh, hand drawn stuff and make it, uh, a digital creation to make anything from, you know, block prints to stickers and all, all kinds of things. And, uh, in the end result is that it's, it was never, re- it was digitized, but it wasn't created digitally. Current studio, is you said this is the first time that you've been able to do like block prints at your home? Yeah, because I, 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 you know, for a lot of my career, I've been teaching, and so I would have uh, access to a press at school, and it just didn't make sense. Nor did we usually have the space to have a press at home. I need to buy one. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I've always just printed at school, usually where I'm teaching. And um, when we moved here, the it actually looked unlikely that I was going to get any teaching. And so that was kind of the arrangement I made was that I was going to buy a press. Um, and now I, pr- I probably, I'm um, not teaching printmaking currently. I'm teaching other courses, but I probably could go print at school if I asked and whatever. But now that I have it at home, it's great to not have to share it with students and <laughs> make sure, you know, deal around their dirt. I know it's my dirt and <laughs> my ink. And if, mm. I, if it's dirty, it's because I left it dirty. So, right. yeah, it's it's a whole new ballgame. Yeah, it is, it is a little isolating. I, I, I miss a little bit of the, the community aspect of sort of printmaking. I mean, that's, I think, one of the reasons I became a printmaker, too, is because we all would be together working in the studio and not like painters always go and kind of build walls and isolate themselves in little cubicles and um, printmakers don't do that. And um, so there is a little bit of kind of isolation that I feel um, being a printmaker in my own home. (laughs) Can you, can you talk a little bit about, I saw last year you, was it last year, maybe a couple of years ago, you rented a asphalt roller to do large. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a thing printmakers do um, fairly regularly. You can find them around places. Um, but this one was up at um, University of Wisconsin, Manitowoc. Uh, the friend Ben that I talked about talking to me in deck carving, Sheena, Ben Reinhardt, he teaches at um, uh, Lawrence University, um, which is not in Manitowoc. I think it's in Appleton. And, um, or, yeah, Appleton. Uh, but anyway, he and the, the professor, Beryl, at Manitowoc did a day where they, uh, or a week, actually, um, where they hired, rented the steamroller and then asked artists to come up and make woodblock prints. So I was still teaching at Southeast Missouri State University at that time. So I wrote a grant and that funded me and my supplies and a student assistant. Um, and then um, we took another student with us and they sort of shared the money between the two of them. But um, And the three of us went up for a week and each of us made a large wood block. So my block at that point was three foot by five foot. And um, so that's, I couldn't print that large where I was teaching because there was no press that large. Um, yeah, so we went up for a week and um, I think they had 50 some artists that week and we each kind of signed up for a day to print and it was really cool. It was kind of like a mini conference almost because we were just hanging out with the printmakers all week and um, but yeah, they, I had never done, I'd seen steamroller print making done all over the place, but I'd never actually done it myself. So it was a good, um, I should have thought, what am I going to do with these big prints? Like, how am I ever going to show these? Cause they're too big to frame. And, 
Um, and I'm telling you, that print has made the rounds. So oh, yeah? <laughs> it's been a, it's, yeah, it's funny. I just thought it would sit in my closet, but it's probably been in, I don't know, 10 shows or something. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it's, wow. It's, it's, it's pretty good. I just roll it up and ship it out with magnets and um, they hang it unframed. So, okay. Um, so, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a good deal. But the grant had allowed me to buy rolls of BFK Reeves, which I never would have paid for on my own. <laughs> but um, they, so yeah, so I think I got an addition of five on BFK Reeves. Not to ask a novice question, but what is that? What is that process like with the steamroller? I'm trying to walk my mind through this process. Um, so I I used um, we all used three quarter inch birch plywood, and um, so we carved that. And then uh, the grant had gotten me some. Dan Smith relief ink. So we used that to roll it up. And the first time we rolled it up as if we were just printing it in a, on a press, like just like normal inking. Um, and uh, it was not nearly inked enough. So it turns out that the steamroller we were using there was kind of a petite little steamroller. Um, and it was not as heavy, didn't give as much pressure as printing on a press, which really huh. surprised me. I thought it was gonna, I thought it was really gonna squish my details. Like I just, Anyway, so we had to really over ink it with rollers. We laid it on the ground and then they had a, um, like a jig we put it in. And um, they, so they had a bigger piece of plywood that was cut out. So we drop it in the jig and then um, put down our paper. And then we actually put down a carpet pad, like a, you know, like you have under your carpet at your house, mm -hmm. a carpet pad. And then they drove over that. So the pad kind of squished. If you had uneven pavement or uneven board, it kind of helped squish out and uh, even out the pressure a little bit. So that was basically, maybe we might have put a piece of uh, muslin between the paper and the carpet pad, I think, so it didn't get dirty. Okay. That was it. It was pretty simple. Yeah. I mean, carving something like that size, how many man hours was, was that work? So it was interesting because that summer I had just finished carving – I had spent, it was, I did it in the summer. So I was carving probably about eight hours a day, five days a week. And so I carved a 13 inch by 19 inch Sheena block and it took me four weeks. And then I only had three weeks left to do that big block. <laughs> and I, I really, I thought I'd kind of screwed myself actually. <laughs> but, um, so, but I, you know, I had all these, I had these tiny tools that I usually carve with and that, that tiny block had all these, it had people that were like a quarter inch tall and like all these little details. So I just put all those little, you know, 1.5 and three millimeter tools to the side and got out the bigger tools and it just didn't carve that small. And, and I pretty much, by the time we drove up to Wisconsin, I still had a little carving left to do, but it was pretty close to three weeks and I was done. Mm -hmm. So Wow. Um, it was just funny to go from those two scales, like this tiny block to this huge block and realize that it took me longer on a small block. <laughs> well, did so. you have to use a mallet with, with the larger tools? No, they're so sharp. I was using Japanese tools and, um, the birch plywood is, is still pretty soft. I mean, it was hard on the tools. It kind of nicked up some of my tools that get them resharpened. But they're they're so sharp that it, you don't. And you don't carve that deep because it's you really just have to get through that layer of the um, veneer, the birch veneer on there. Mm -hmm. So well, That's impressive. We've already talked about your current studio situation with being able to work in your home a little bit. When you think of your studio, what kind of things do you like to have yourself surrounded with? 
that keep you motivated to continue carving? Is it something like just scents like candles or certain music or art, certain artwork on the wall? I know. It's funny because the whole rest of my house has art on the wall. And then I get down to my studio and have very little on the walls. Um, I, I guess mostly I just, I'm kind of focused on one thing at a time. And I'm, you know, so if I'm working on a print, I have that sketch out and I'm working on that block and I don't tend to you know I look at other artist studios online and things and I think they they have all this stuff around and I I tend to keep mine well it's not really right now but if I, I tend to keep it fairly clean and organized um I used to listen to music when I was younger but I don't know at some point I, when I started doing um stitch I was stitching for a while in my work and that sort of meticulous um I don't want to say it was brainless, but kind of like you're, there's not a lot of like consideration about it. You're just doing the stitches over and over because I was cross stitching. Um, So when I started doing that, I would, I started having the TV on and I think I suspect that the reason I was doing that was because instead of being in the print studio doing things where I'd have people around and there'd be conversation and music and whatever, I think, again, it was that feeling of isolation in being at home doing these things. So having the TV, like my husband teases me because he's like, how can you do your work? Like, I'm like, I don't really watch it. I just listen to it. it like, it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like so there's people around. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I, I don't when I'm working on a computer doing sketches and stuff, I just really have silence. Um, sometimes I'll put music on, but usually silence. But if I'm carving like I've been doing this week. Um, I'll just play something on Netflix and it has to be something that I'm kind of familiar with so I don't sit there and watch it. Mm. So a lot of times old shows that I've watched before or Gilmore um, Girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went through that whole series, yes. <laughs> Read through that series, yes. Something like that where I'm kind of familiar with the characters and their voices and um so yeah, so that that, that tends to be I think it's not that I want to distract myself from the carving because I enjoy the carving, but it just sort of I don't know. It makes me feel like someone's around or something. Mm, that's, interesting. that's interesting. Yeah, I'm usually pretty embarrassed to tell artists that because they're always like, "You have the TV on while you're making your art." And I'm like, I know it sounds terrible, but it's kind of like know. it's kind of like people watching from your living room. Yes. Yeah. I think, and I, I just, I really, I, actually, until you just asked me about it, I hadn't really thought about the origins of that. But I, I do think it kind of goes back to this fact that I was used to working in a community mm-hmm. of artists in the studio and then when I had to go home and work alone it just felt I felt alone so was the dynamic changed a lot since you had a son like my uh, in terms of getting work done and stuff yeah in in terms of like goal setting and making sure that you're still active in the community and active doing your artwork do you you feel like it's enhanced it or do you feel like I don't know I used to be pretty driven and like really like career I got to do this thing and um yeah when you have a kid I think for me it kind of just was like oh let's stop and smell the roses and (laughs) and he's he's and especially I don't know I think I even feel this more now than when he was a baby but it's sort of like now he's 12 and I sort of am now realizing like oh my god this is going so fast and um you know I think when he was four I didn't feel that but but now I'm like he's only gonna be in our house six more years like that's crazy but um, so, yeah, so I, I, I mean, I have goals for myself as an artist, but 
um, like this year I felt like I taught too, too much. So next year I'm cutting back a class to see if that's kind of the sweet spot. Um, it, I love teaching, so I don't, I don't want to say I don't want to do it, but when we moved here and there was a year where I wasn't teaching, I realized how much I was loving doing studio stuff. So, so yeah, I, I think if I can kind of find that happy medium between teaching and I kind of get um, stimulated by the students, like in terms of, oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I love about art and oh yeah, this is what I love about color or whatever. So I think not teaching at all I, I makes me sad, but teaching too much kind of makes me realize I miss the studio too much. So somewhere in between. <laughs> when I was teaching more and my goal was like, you know, I'm going to get a tenure track job and then I want to get tenure and all that. Um, I always had this goal of getting 10 shows a year on my resume. Like that was just, it could be a solo show and nine, whatever, whatever kinds of shows they were. Um, so I think in the back of my head, that's still kind of there even though the reason for doing it now isn't that I want to get a tenure track job because I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's in my future anymore. So let's back up a little bit there. So you were talking about your goals for yourself as an artist, your, your original goals were how many shows did you say? Five, 10, 10, 10 year. Yeah. I think that's pretty aggressive, right? Well, printmakers do do a lot. We, tend to do a lot of juried shows and so you know it might be 10 any kind of show so it could be you know five national juried shows and regional I don't know so it could be a combination of lots of different things so but in this in the year after Garrick was born I had pre-scheduled like I didn't know he was coming Uh, I had pre-scheduled three solo shows (laughs) (laughs) like I don't know what I was thinking (laughs) but yeah wow I, I look back at that, and I'm like, well, it's like, I don't know. How but, you know, I think it's something where someone offers you a show, and I was like, oh, yeah, let's do that. So, mm. I don't know. I do try to, you know, I try to have things scheduled for myself because I do work better when I know that there's, like, a deadline. So, um, so the end of this summer, I'm hanging a solo show, and then next summer, I'm hanging a solo show. So, I know those are kind of, like, deadlines coming up. Mm. So, um, that's I guess my goals tend to be that way, like show oriented rather than um, other, like I'm going to get 10 pieces done. I don't know how many pieces I'll get done the next year. I just know I have two solo shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so is it is it kind of one of those things where you might start a new series for uh, some solo shows, but not kind of push yourself to have a complete new show set up? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I tend to work in series. I've always done that. So I this is the longest I've been in a series of work. Uh, it's been seven years. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know how much, I don't know. I'm actually, the print I'm just carving now is is changing gears slightly. And so I'm going to have to figure out what that means for these solo shows. But um, yeah, they may be not including this print, but I don't know. We'll see. Oh, wow. You were talking a little bit about having certain benchmarks for your year. And is there anything outside of the gallery shows that are benchmarks for you, like learning a new technique, using a new medium, those kind of things? Probably not too much. Um, other other than like, I, you know, sometimes I've said, like when we first moved here, I was like, I'm going to get an Etsy site up. <laughs> like, I don't know what I want to do with the Etsy site. I was just going to get an Etsy site up because that's like something, you know, that full-time teaching had kind of kept me from doing. And so I got an Etsy site up. 
but I'm not selling much Etsy site. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'm doing all the things I need to do to make the Etsy site go, you know. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've i been pretty technique stable for, when I was younger, I used to do lots of different printmaking things, and I'd combine mediums, and I'd stitch on them, and all these things. But I've been doing straight up woodblock prints for 14 years now, which is like kind of weird to me, but, um, but not. So. Mm. so as a professor, you have a unique position in life where you are an influencer on different people. So you get to kind of see artists, maybe students come in and they are psychology majors. And then suddenly something switches and they decide, oh, I think that I belong in, this is my tribe. What do I do? Like, can you describe any former students, anything that you see them doing now that you're like, oh, I see a little bit of my fingerprint there? Actually, well, just as you're saying that, Jen Rockage from uh, from Clarion, um, she actually went on to get her MFA in printmaking. But, you know, I really only taught her two years, I think, before I left Clarion. Okay. And, um, but... But I think she started out either as a minor or a double major or something, and then she switched, and then she was, anyway, she ended up doing printmaking, which I, I think is sort of funny. And now she's making, like, uh, she's printing quilts or printing fabric that, and then making quilts or something. But so for me, that's a funny connection, which I'm not even sure she realizes, but before uh, I went to Clarion, I was making printed paper quilts. And so there's just that funny kind of connection, even though I, it, I it didn't come directly for me, I don't think, but, um, but yeah, I, um, it's funny. My, we had a show when I was teaching at Southeast, um, we had a, a show cause we had a conference come in and we had a show that was like printmakers at Southeast. And so it was like me and the other faculty and then, um, uh, some students, the printmaking students, and I walked around that show, and I, I was so struck how, by how the, the student work did not reflect my aesthetic at <laughs> all, like at all. It totally reflected the other professor's aesthetic, and I had sort of mixed feelings. And part of me, I was kind of disappointed in that, and then part of me felt like kind of proud of the fact that I wasn't, that the student, that wasn't influencing their work so much that it looked just like mine, you know what I mean? Uh, but I, yeah, there's a lot of students I keep in touch with, um, and it's just great to see them all. You know, Joe Fisher, like from Clarion, he was he, he might have been before you there, but um, he's you know he'll put up some prints every once in a while, and I don't know, it's pretty cool to to see. I that's like probably my favorite part of Facebook is being able to see all those former students and what they're doing, and and kind of follow them, and yeah, it's pretty exciting. I. I don't do litho in my own work, but I love teaching lithography. I don't, I, it was like one of my favorite things to teach. Anyway, so I taught it for it's the like first magic. time in years. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I taught it for the first time in years. I, uh, no one had taught it at Southeast for like 10 years. Oh, wow. And so I taught it. And this one student, like ha- about halfway through the semester, I could just see she had just caught the litho bug. <sighs> and I was so excited. <laughs> And she just, anyway, she just jumped all into litho and um, she went to Tamarind, which is a master, um, they train master printers in lithography and she got her master certification, master printer certification. And, um, and now she's getting her MFA and it's just, I just, I feel very like, like a proud mama about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, 
not know litho if it were. <laughs> so yeah, but and now she could I would, she could run circles around me in litho. But well, it's there's good. your fingerprint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How close are you now to uh, the vision of what you had when you uh, were getting started out as an artist? Like, are you kind of where you where you thought you would be, or is it kind of uh, taking a different path? Uh, so I think, I don't know if I had a real strong vision of what I was going to be as an artist. I had such a strong vision of what I thought I was going to be as a teacher. Mm. And, um, so I think one of the things that I would go back if I could change something about my career is to probably focus more on, I, I should go as an artist and a little less on, on the teaching career. Um, and I tell my students that a lot if they're talking about going to an MFA and they're all like, oh, I want to teach college. And I'm like, OK, let's let's talk about this because the, the odds of that are so low. <laughs> um, so you need to you need to figure out what you want to be as an artist. And then if you get the teaching job, that's great. Um, and I kind of wish someone had reframed that for me when I was younger. You know, there were moments when I thought, oh, I'd love to be like in the Whitney Biennial or something. And. That was sort of this little fantasy of mine. And then I grew up and realized, oh, yeah, that, that doesn't happen for printmakers. Mm. Like, <laughs> it just doesn't. And so there's a, you know, there's, a think, a realization where I just had to come to and be like, okay, I can either change what I do or I can be happy with uh, what I do. And so, I, you know, that's kind of goes back to this goal. I'm, I'm just going to be happy if I get my work in shows and people get to see it. If I sell it, it's a perk. Um, and I'm fortunately in a, in a situation where, you know, I don't have to feed myself off selling the prints. Otherwise, I would have to do something different. So I'm happy when they sell, but I, I don't, I'm, I'm in no uh, misconception that I'm going to, you know, sort of survive off of those sales. Like that's, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so that's where I am. <laughs> that's great. I, I think it's always incredible when um, working within a community and within a guild or within a specialized group like Inseca or the printmaking um, group is seems to be a lot have a lot more value now than maybe it did 10, 15 years ago. Are you seeing that in, in your landscape view of things? I think so. Um, yeah, I, you know, I didn't even know about the conferences until I got to graduate school. I'd never even heard of them. Mm. Uh, my undergrad professors just weren't connected to that field at all, like that group. So, um, so for me, that, that was like, like the whole world opened up. I was like, you mean there's a place where printmakers all get together? <laughs> like I, I had no idea. So, um, and, and then my, uh, graduate school professor took me and two other students, um, to the very first Mid-America Print Council conference. And so it was tiny. I don't remember. There was maybe 150 of us there or something. It was very small. And um, it, it just it made me fall in love with that organization. I ended up on the board for six years. And, the, it, you know, I just valued so much what that showed me. Mm -hmm. you know, I never forget. I can't right off the top of my head. I can't think of the professor's name. But he did a, he did a talk. And it was it was called Prince versus Prince, I think, or something, but it was like printmaking versus Prince the artist, <laughs> Prince the singer. And, uh, and so he, he just had this whole thing he was reading, but the slides would change. 
And it would sometimes be a printmaking photo, and then sometimes it would be something about print. It was just the I, – I just loved it. And it was just – that was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely coming back to these conferences mm-hmm. to, like, connect to these people and see how they see the world as printmakers. So, so, from, so yeah, so I don't know if I can say – for me, it would definitely be – that would have been 1994, that first conference I went to. Um, but I do think as I see students coming through that they become more and more important for them getting into graduate school um, and then sort of succeeding after that. So I, I do think they've gotten more important. I went to my first conference this year and I, I was just so absolutely blown away because it was like kind of intimidating because I had never been to a conference before and I went by myself. Yeah, I didn't like... I didn't seek anybody out to say, like, are you going? Maybe I should go. You know, it was just kind of like, no, this is in Pittsburgh. I have no excuse not to go. I'm going to go. And I had, I really, I had an absolutely awesome time going to hear the speakers and, you know, randomly running into Greeny and um, running into some other people that I follow on Instagram that I'm like, oh, my God, you're, <laughs> which was really yeah. cool. So there you go. I still get a little bit of fangirl and I go to some of those things you know I, I can definitely remember that was like graduate school and I saw some of those names and I was like ah, mm-hmm. they're here so I'm kind of curious in your own words how would you define um in in maybe a, a couple of sentences uh a printmaker or printmaking um printmaking is a process where you work on a matrix which might be a wood block or a piece of metal or a stone or a screen and then you through some process, transfer that image onto usually a piece of paper, but not always. <laughs> so it's an indirect um, indirect medium where you're drawing or painting or carving on, on something and then transferring that. And there's the magic of printmaking is that moment when you pull the print off the press and you've not seen it before and you lift it up and it's just that magic moment that every printmaker knows and um, and loves. That's why we keep doing it. <laughs> um, it also gives us that opportunity to make multiples. Mm. So we can um, mm-hmm. have multiple originals and not um, not just one of a kind, uh, which can be good or bad on the, on the good side. It means, you know, I can have the same print in four shows at the same time. Um, on the bad side, it means you can't charge as much for things. So, I, you know, sometimes I look at the price on a painting and I think, holy cow. <laughs> but then I remember I've got 25 of mine. So, um, you know, it's just a different uh, different medium. I tell my students all the time is that printmaking really rules the world. We just don't know it yet. So, yeah, it yeah. does. It does. I mean, there's a solution <laughs> for everything. You know, it's everything you do is printmaking. So, yeah. <laughs> the graphic design students that have no idea where uh, layers come from, I'm like, ush, printmakers. You can thank us. That's why you have layers. Um, oh, I did have one more thing. Just in, just in case, if you wanted to answer, it's just a real quick thing. Um, if you, uh, if you were, if somebody was interested in printmaking, um, where would you suggest that they kind of get started with it? Um, you know, so many communities these days have um, some kind of print co-op or print collaborative. Um, I, I would probably, you know, if you're not a student or not in school, I would probably recommend one of those community print shops, um, like Chicago Printmakers Collaborative is one. Um, uh, I know, um, but the, I can't think of any other off the top of my head, but like a lot of, um, a lot of smaller, or, you know, regional 
places, uh, big cities will have a, a community space where you can go in and sometimes pay by the hour or pay by the day or something. So I've, I've done that in Lincoln, Nebraska, I went to the Lux Center for the Arts. They had a press and I would, they gave me a punch card. And every time I go into print, they punch the card. <laughs> and so, it, you know, there's ways to make prints, even if you're don't have your own press or not connected to a university or something, but you you know, if you just seek out, seek out a community print shop, that would be the best way, I think. Yeah, a lot of them will teach workshops, um, and some will just let you pay for press time. So. Well, Kristen, we're up on our hour, so I don't want to take any more of your time. We really appreciate you joining us for our first podcast. Kristen tends to show her work in galleries. She tries to do 10 shows a year for juried shows where she sends her large prints to be hung on gallery walls. She can also be found on the webs at www.kristennowlin.com, or you can also follow her on Instagram. More information about Kristen can be found in the show notes. You can find a link to her website there, as well as her Instagram. She's also got her own Etsy store, in case you're interested in finding a print by Kristen. From both of us, thanks for listening.